With the new year soon upon us, a look back on a few of the issues that shaped our industry in 2023. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan, brought to you by Varion. I'm your host, Rob Finfrock, and this certainly was an eventful year for our industry, with several developments affecting business aviation operations and safety, and even our industry's place in today's world and how we're shaping its future. These themes were reflected in our three most popular flight plan episodes over the past year, and we'll revisit those now, starting with our third most downloaded episode, which examined the relationship between professionalism and safety, and highlighted a useful NBAA resource to help ensure that we're approaching our work in the industry with a professional mindset. Here's part of my conversation with NBAA Domestic Operations Committee members Eric Knupp with Live Oak Bank and David Keyes from Peace River Citrus Products, encouraging business aviation professionals to conduct a thorough pre-flight. NBAA's pre-flight campaign aims to promote professionalism across business aviation. The nine letters in the word pre-flight each represent vital attitudes and behaviors, and not just when you're on the job. Those are preparation respectful, ethical, follows policies and procedures, leadership, integrity, genuine, humble, and transparent. Again, these are tenants we can all embrace, whether we're pilots, flight attendants, maintenance professionals, schedulers and dispatchers, or anyone else in business aviation. David, how should we apply the aspects of pre-flight to our roles in business aviation? I equate this to pre-flight in your airplane. I mean, the, the, the acronym works most of it. When you walk up to your airplane and, and uh, what's the first thing you do, you don't start looking at the details. You look at the overall airplane, any leaks, any dents, any things, anything out of shape. And it's kind of like an approach we should take to being a professional pilot. In bold red letters on the flyer we printed, it says professionalism is more than just a paycheck. And we feel that, that when we look at current incidents and accidents throughout our industry over the last five, six years, a lot of unprofessional behavior has gone on, just poor decision-making and, and people not taking their job as a professional. When, like you said, whether you're a pilot, a mechanic, a dispatcher, a scheduler, or any other industry. So they they all kind of feed on each other where you, you, you just start in the pre-flight and the acronym and, and be prepared. Uh, do your homework, get ready for your flight, whatever your job is. And it works down to the the last is transparent. If something is not right or you've made a mistake, be transparent about it because that's how we, number one, learn. But number two, how people can help solve the issue. Eric, what are some symptoms of lack of professionalism? How can pre-flight help to address and mitigate those? This conversation, just having this conversation may come off as Dave and I being haughty and being a little bit full of ourselves and we're professionals and you know, those people out here are not. Um, and that I want to make very clear that that's not the case at all. The H in pre-flight stands for humble. Um, we're humble enough to realize that we're not perfect. And so uh, it's just a matter of really being engaged. I also see, you know, like Dave mentioned, uh, being plugged in and being prepared as a choice. I think there's a lot of operators out there that simply are not aware of what they're, missing out on, and they're not choosing to be engaged with an organization like NBAA 
or any other kind of representation that we have out there. And so they're not aware of kind of industry best practices. Um, they may not be keeping abreast of changes in regulations. Uh, they show up at the airport and they kick the tires and light the fires, as they say, and go flying. And there's just not a lot else uh, beyond that. So um, I think the, the biggest one for me is the very first letter, and that's being prepared. A lot of that, a lot of the rest of it stems from that, is making that choice to be prepared and plug in and, and find out what's going on. And I think, you know, there's a lot of operators out there that may have come up through business aviation. And depending on how they were mentored in their early years, that kind of reflects the way they operate now. Uh, Dave and I both have an airline background. I can't speak for Dave, but I know in our operation, I brought a lot of that over the way the airlines operate. We brought that over into our own operation. And so there's a, by nature, there's just a lot of engagement. But I also know plenty of operators here on our home airport that simply never had that experience and never had that exposure. And like I said, they may have had a mentor that never kind of enforced that kind of viewpoint on them. So they just sort of, again, show up at the airport and go fly. So I think preparation for me is probably the biggest one that I would point to. And these are particularly important when we think of smaller flight operations or even perhaps single pilot operations that may not have the resources available from larger flight departments. I think if you look at the accident history over, say, the past decade, there are certainly some larger operators that have suffered some losses. But by and large, a lot of the incidents and accidents we're seeing are small operators. You know, I can't necessarily point to why that is, if it's a resource issue um, or if it's just a lack of exposure. But, uh, yeah, I think Dave would agree with me on the fact that too often we see smaller flight departments committing the same kind of errors and it all goes back to a lack of professionalism. So yes, to your question, I think the answer is definitely small, small, well, operators of any size, but small operators in particular can benefit from uh, kind of engaging and being more prepared and professional. And one thing to remember, Rob, is that small operators, it may not be a conscious effort to be unprofessional. They just may be so overwhelmed with the, an operation because as quickly as our industry is moving right now with hiring and changes, I always use this analogy. I get a call and the young man says, uh, I got hired as a co-pilot six months ago. I'm now the chief pilot and I have no idea of what's going on here. And he's like trying to take a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. So it's it's a matter of saying, okay, we've got tools to support you, but take a step back and be professional about how you're going to approach all of these issues you have to face. And, and that's really the, the message we're trying to, to get out to the industry. Coming up, our top two most popular flight plan episodes of the year. But first, this word from our sponsor. Take your aviation operations to new heights. Introducing Varion, formerly known as ATP, your ultimate partner in achieving maximum aircraft uptime. At Varion, we understand the challenges faced by everyone in aviation. Our industry-leading technology solutions revolutionize aircraft management, so there's no more waiting, no more wondering, and no more wasted effort. Get real-time visibility of your maintenance, inventory, operations, and regulatory data right at your fingertips with an easy-to-use system. Backed by a team of experts with deep aviation knowledge offering 24-7, 365 support. After 50 years in the business, we have built a growing reputation for getting our customers more aircraft uptime. That's why thousands of aircraft operators worldwide have already discovered the power of Varion. 
say goodbye to downtime and hello to increased efficiency and profitability. Visit Varian.com to learn more. Varian, let's get you more uptime. We're back now with our review of the most downloaded episodes of NBAA's flight plan over the past 12 months. And even now, with December's colder temperatures and snow on the ground in some parts of the country, we aren't far removed from what was a very active summer storm season, with severe weather even extending well into fall in some areas. Our second most downloaded episode this year offered a preview of what to expect weather-wise in summer 2023, and detailed how NBAA's Air Traffic Services staff at the FAA's Air Traffic Control System Command Center work with FAA personnel and meteorologists to keep business aviation clear of the storms. We pick up now with Dean Snell, NBAA ATS Manager, and Roland Nunez, Acting National Aviation Meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service. Roland, how do you and other meteorologists at the command center assist the FAA with convective forecasting? And how often are those forecasts updated throughout the day? Here at the command center, we run off of a two-hour cycle but we're continuously bringing in new information and ingesting it into the plan, the strategic plan. And we're bringing those details down to the individual specialists that work here. We pull information from the Center Weather Service Units, and a lot of, we get a lot of resources from them, such, especially uh, specific products that deal with swap uh, potential. So uh, New York and D.C. are two fine examples that daily provide information to us. We bring it together and that gets shared uh, for the planning process. So we also get information, uh, the details, particularly for the terminal folks. We bring in all the TAF information and we bring some value added information. A lot of the details that typically won't be described on the TAF, but with coordination with the authors of these forecasts, we're able to bring that in, put it together in a way that it's a lot more understandable and usable for decision making. You mentioned swaps or severe weather avoidance plans. Please tell us about one of the products that helps inform the process of developing a swap, the terminal convective forecast. TCF is the third generation of coordinated products that we've been doing for years. And the beauty about the TCF that it brings not only the National Weather Service, and when I mean National Weather Service, that include the National Aviation Meteorologist, but the Aviation Weather Center who hosts the actual collaboration over in Kansas City. We bring all the, all the individuals that I mentioned, including the Center Weather Service units that we just talked about, and also the industry. They have a vital part in that decision-making. So we bring all the meteorologists in these different entities, bring them together to get a coordinated message. And from that, essentially sets our talking points and where we expect the impactful weather to take place. And that gets shared not only here internally at the command center, which is really the driving force, but everyone has access to it on the web as well. I see. And Dean, your team at ATS utilizes these tools to help NBAA members coordinate their flights through the national airspace system. How can weather constraints compound with other factors in the NAS to affect the airspace and traffic flow? Convective weather is just one constraint of many that are possible on any given day in the national airspace system. We know that thunderstorms are extremely impactful due to the amount of airspace that they can take away uh, for aircraft to to utilize. So it's a very dynamic situation. But in addition to convective weather, you know, we have several other constraints such as volume, 
uh, both in route and uh, in terminal uh, for so in route as well as uh, the airports. Throw in space launches and or military activity, which can shut down uh, airspace as well. And then most of uh, our operators are familiar with the VIP TFRs for the president and vice president. Looking specifically at the one most are familiar with, the Wilmington uh, presidential TFR, there are two common routes for aircraft destined to Teterboro and Morristown from the south uh, when that TFR is active uh, because the standard Jake arrival into those airports is not available. Uh, and one of those reroutes is the deep water route over the Atlantic, which takes you up, of course, outside of Washington Center. The other one is up through Cleveland Center, which adds a significant amount of distance uh, to to the reroute. And say if, if, if there's weather uh, in Cleveland Center, convective weather, then that route option you know, might be off the table entirely, which then leaves just that deep water route. Another issue to keep in mind is if the airspace in one region is constrained with thunderstorms, th- then we commonly see the uh, adjacent airspace having volume issues due to the number of aircraft that are rerouting around the storms through that adjacent airspace. So it's, it's really a balancing act for the command center and the ATC facilities when you add all those constraints together. How does information from all these resources come together in determining if, when, and where a swap will be in effect? The collaboration between the command center and the, the weather service units and the National Weather Service uh, they, they work together, of course, first to identify the constraints, but then the command center will also uh, work in conjunction uh, with the en route facilities, the tracons, the towers, you know, to come up with an actual plan um, that includes throughput and arrival departure rates through that constrained airspace based on uh, you know, how active the storms are going to be, how much airspace they're going to take up. Uh, and then the en route centers usually will publish a swap statement which include details on where they expect the weather to be, when it will form, um, along with the traffic management initiatives that they're expecting to use uh, so they can safely and as efficiently as possible manage the weather event. Now, if, if the volume in the airspace or airport exceeds the rates that are set, then an ATC initiative is implemented, uh, such as an airspace flow program, uh, a ground delay program for a specific airport or airports, uh, ground stops for arrivals into an airport and or a required route structure uh, around these storms. Uh, these initiatives can be very impactful, uh, which makes these weather tools so important. Predicting thunderstorms, um, especially air mass thunderstorms, um, is not a perfect science, although I think we've come a long way improving that. Uh, and the weather community experts, along with the FAA and industry, partners are constantly looking at ways to improve these important weather products so that we can do much better at where and when we reduce the the rates. Uh, We want to dial the numbers down at the right time and not do it too early and certainly not too late. As Dean mentioned, it's not an exact science. So we're really looking continually to see any departures from what the forecast was taking place. And we want to be reactive or more specifically, we want to anticipate when those changes are going to take place based on those subtle changes that we notice. And we want to make sure we stay on top of it so we adjustments can be made on the fly because we truly want to be able to respond ahead of any changes take, that take place because there's always clues that are taking place. We just want to make sure that we're getting that information to them instantaneously so they can make those adjustments in a timely manner. 
It's no secret that business aviation is on a quest to achieve net-zero carbon emissions by 2050, as exemplified by the recent announcement of the new Climbing Fast campaign. Another popular subject in our industry is the development of several technologies like advanced air mobility and electric, hybrid, and hydrogen propulsion, poised to not only help realize those sustainability goals, but also to revolutionize the very concept of business aviation. So, of course, NBAA is one of the strongest and most powerful voices in both of these areas, including through the Association's Sustainability Subcommittee and the NBAA Emerging Technologies Committee. These two groups work toward business aviation's future in different ways, but they also share a lot of common ground, and that was the subject of our most popular flight plan episode in 2023. We'll pick up the conversation now with Sustainability Subcommittee member Scott Cutchell from Clay Lacey Aviation and Global Aerospace's Chris Proudlove, a member of the Emerging Technologies Committee. Chris, it sounds to me that new technologies and sustainability really are two closely related topics. How often is sustainability a part of your conversations on the Emerging Technologies Committee? There's an expectation that all new technologies, really in, you know, in, in all sectors of commerce, are developed with a focus on sustainability. So to that extent, really all discussions that we're having around emerging technology, you know, certainly have an, have an impact or, you know, certainly a major part of that dis- discussion is around how sustainable they are. But sustainability isn't just about, you know, lowering emissions. The feedback that we get from our business aviation customers is that they are looking for ways to reduce emissions. But in addition, they're concerned about sustainability in general. This includes things like workforce development, particularly as it relates to the shortage of pilots, which is an ongoing sustainability issue for all aviation companies. So I think that the two are very, very closely linked. Scott, let's flip the question a bit. What about the role of emerging technologies as part of the sustainability discussion? I'm a firm believer technological advances enable sustainability. And just one example is sustainable aviation fuel. That that is a technological advance that we're now making fuels from existing carbon sources rather than pumping oil out of the ground and introducing new carbon into the atmosphere. That's a technological advance. As we start to move into other propulsion systems, those are technological advances that will also enable more sustainable flight operations. I would just maybe offer a piece of advice to MBA membership, which is just to lean into the considerable changes that are afoot in the industry. It's not just the development of new aircraft that can serve potentially new passengers and cargo. I mean, that's really exciting. You know, there are so many benefits potentially from being an early mover in that space. But, you know, it relates to sustainability as well. And I think that increasingly what we hear from our customers is that whether you're a Part 91 or a Part 135 operator, you know, your customers, whether they're the C-suite or commercial passengers, are increasingly looking for operations that have foundations in sound ESG practices. So whether it's new verticals, new aircraft models, new potential passengers uh, and customers, or the myriad sustainable practices that are being adopted around the industry, um, I think this is just a really exciting time. And there are lots of opportunities for, for all of us to cement what we've done in the past and build on it to a bright future for, for the entire industry. I want to echo Chris. I love the lean in. 
my way of saying it is everybody needs to start. You don't need to go to the final degree in every aspect, but if everybody starts, um, what is your carbon footprint? Uh, just knowing what that is and starting with the basic low hanging fruit that are low to no cost. Start with that first and then get more advanced from there. But if everybody starts, there will be massive impact and a very positive light on our industry. Second is for those that are just thinking this is a political issue. I, I, I like to get out there and say, this is, this is not what this is, is number one, it's doing the right thing and acting responsibly. And number two, it's a way for us as an industry to avoid future regulation. I don't think any of us like being told what to do. So if we take the right actions now, we will be able to avoid mandates requiring us to do these things in the future. This episode also featured insights from Brock Jordan with Netflix, who co-chairs the Sustainability Subcommittee, and Supernal's Paul McDuffie from the Emerging Tech Committee. Each discussed how sustainability and emerging technologies are connected at their respective companies. Here's Paul. We have been concentrating on a number of issues that are clearly related to sustainability uh, on the emerging tech side. Most of it has revolved around advanced air mobility, unmanned systems, you know, essentially being part of everyday life and our belief that that technology provides significant social, environmental, and economic advantages uh, to, to the general public. Of course, those, those are the three main pillars to sustainability. We've kind of looked at each of those objectively and, and evaluated uh, the technology as it emerges, pardon the pun, and as we move into a world where air mobility and UAS operations become more the norm as opposed to the exception. We've looked at it from, from a number of perspectives, workforce development for one. We've looked at it from the entry into service requirements, what it's going to take to get these systems you know, actively engaged in everyday life in a sustainable way. We've looked at it from a regulatory standpoint. We've got several members of the Emerging Tech Committee who are you know, interested in things like certifying the vehicle so that it is compliant with existing regulations, but it also provides an opportunity to bring into service vehicles that are clearly sustainable for the long term. Brock, I know that these two subjects are also at the forefront over at Netflix. Yeah, we have a net zero approach to sustainability and and we've accomplished that as a company. But here in the aviation department, we want to drive culture here. I think culture is the next step to drive a holistic approach to sustainability at an aviation uh, operation or facility. Navigating which technologies you're going to choose and commit to over the next five, 10 years. For us, one low-hanging fruit is SAF for a lot of operators that are in larger cities that have it available to them. But that comes the question of evaluating the green premium and leveraging it, a technology versus an offset. And for us, that's what we're evaluating right now as an operation and and budgeting for our future. I think it's key that, that operators and operations start looking for two, three, four, five years in the future of how they're going to bring this into their budget. That's how they're going to have to approach their corporations to fund sustainability if they already don't have a commitment to it. And another piece to the holistic approach is sustainability uh, standard operating procedures that are going to continue to evolve and develop within your operation. 
and setting forth a goal for for timing on on transitioning away from offsets and, and actually engaging in emerging tech to drive your your greenhouse gas emissions, your scope one, twos, and threes uh, down, and also creating that culture uh, of true believer that we can help invest in the future of our planet and corporate aviation. To stay abreast of these and other key topics affecting our industry in the coming year, be sure to listen and subscribe to this weekly podcast at nbaa.org forward slash flight plan for all the latest news and information affecting business aviation. You can find these three highlighted episodes archived there as well. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember, you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device. Of course, you can also download Flight Plan directly from nbaa.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for a new episode of Flight Plan. Right, uh, we got him inside. We're slowing back to 170.